0: Good morning, church. Worship was great. Wasn't it amazing? Ah, you just felt the presence of God. I hope it was as good at home as it was in this room. My wife is home watching today. She'll have to let me know if the Spirit was there too. Hopefully, while the Spirit's there, he'll do something with those dogs because uh, they need Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. My wife is home. She... uh, she's not feeling well today it's it's not the vid no worries Uh, we know because she got tested it's negative flu is negative it's it's cedar fever anyone just really in a hate love relationship with the weather right now uh so anyway i hope carrie's feeling better and i know a number of people that are at home ill today we just we just stretch our hands forward to you right now in the name of jesus and we just speak healing we just release healing into homes all across Uh, this nation all across the world that are watching right now. God, we just thank you uh, for what you're doing in their bodies right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Let the church say amen. We are in a series called Truth Over Trend. And this is my second sermon. I started it last week. My goal is to help us discern truth, buy into truth, and walk by truth. We know from Scripture that as time goes on, deception will only increase. And you can look around yourself and, and know that deception is on the rise. Lawlessness on the rise. Uh, people walking out their own faith on the rise. I, I don't want to walk out of faith that Trey has created. I don't want to serve a God that Trey has manufactured. Right at the, at the end of my time, I want to be found faithful. And so we're talking in this series about how to discern truth. Now, we started last Sunday this little thing called the 30-day shred. Anyone in here doing the 30-day shred? Make some noise. Even, hey, come on. Even if you've already, like you only did day one or day two, and you're still on day one and a half, just make, make some noise with us. You're part of the group. Come on. If you're doing 30-day shred okay okay so there's a lot of you stuck on day two that's all right that's really okay just keep keep plodding along it you know what I mean like just do do what you can as you can I challenge you to pick up the pace Um, it's really just good stuff the more that you read the Bible like we're doing over these 30 days for some of you it may be 90 days um, you just get a bigger perspective of Scripture of the overarching themes of how God moves through history. It's, it's really incredible. So I encourage you to be a part of that. If you've uh, not signed up for that, it's really not too late. You can join us even today. I think coming up on the screen if we have it is the graphic to where there's a QR code that you can scan with your phone. You can get more information about that. Man, our, t- our media team is great. I didn't even prompt them that I was gonna say this and there it is. You can take your phone, hover over that QR code with your camera and it'll take you right to the link so you know what all is going on I just encourage you to be a part of the 30 day shred now today, now remember this 30 day shred is so intense you're reading stuff so rapidly that you're you're consuming it but you're not digesting it right? those of you who are doing it are like absolutely I don't understand a word I've heard so far that's okay your spirit does Um, what you're reading is life it is the breath of God that is going inside of you and there is transformation whether you comprehend it or not all right now what I'm teaching you today and over the next several weeks is how to interpret scripture how to understand scripture so we're kind of running in two lanes at once right One, one lane I'm expecting you to not interpret at all not to digest it's just Eat, 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 eat as much as you can, right? The 30-day shred. And then over here in this lane, I'm going to teach us how to take verse by verse, concept by concept, how to really interpret Scripture. The title of my sermon today, I thought I would make easy, How to Study Scripture. How to Study Scripture. Father, I come before you today. (sighs) Oh. Lord, there is just nothing more deep than talking about interpreting your word. So God, give me the grace to communicate what it is that you've laid on my heart to communicate. God, give the hearer the grace to hear what it is that you want them to receive. God, I thank you. I thank you for what you're stirring among this body of believers. In Jesus' name I pray. Let the church say, amen. Amen. Now, I'll give you a heads up. Um, I have 17 points and 18, eight pages of notes, okay? Now, I typically have, in a typical sermon, when I run over, three pages of notes. <laughs> Ushers, please lock the doors. I had one congregant ask me after service last week if I might consider preaching my sermon at two times the speed. <laughs> <laughs> I sure do love Miss Connie. (laughs) She's great. Um, So I I already know that this sermon is much bigger than the time that we have today, all right? But um, I'm just going to take it at the pace that I feel like you're receiving it and at the pace that I feel like the Lord is releasing me to move on to the next thing. And we won't finish the eight, my eight pages of notes, I guarantee it. We won't, we won't finish all 17 points, um, but we're going to tackle what we can. And I hope that you will come back next week, and maybe this will be a three-week sermon, I'm not sure. All right, It's just really important to me that I help us learn to interpret Scripture. It is the misinterpretation of the word of God. Like I mentioned last week, this word is infallible. It is inerrant. But put in the hands of someone who doesn't interpret it correctly, it can be very dangerous, right? Someone who doesn't know how to interpret the word of God, for example, would tell you that the Bible condones slavery. The Bible does not. Condone slavery, if you know how to rightly divide the word of God. Someone who doesn't know how to interpret scripture would say, well, the Bible used to condone slavery, but culture has evolved. It was maybe proper in that time. It's not proper now. That is still a misinterpretation of scripture, because quite literally the Bible does not, has not, will not ever condone slavery. Any verses that you see about slavery, there is a proper interpretation to it. And it does not ever result in your father being okay with slavery. Do you see why interpretation matters? Interpretation really matters. So I want to just spend some time with us today on what that looks like. Now, if you're um, watching online, you did not receive the handouts that I made for everyone in the room. Everyone in the room... Uh, You've got this page. I want you to go ahead and take this out. I'm providing you two Bible study methods. They're they're different, okay? They don't flow into one another. Um, Just just hold it in your hand and and look at me for a moment. The front page is the SOAP Bible study method. It's Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer, all right? I think that I typed it out well enough that it's self-explanatory. So it would be sinful for you to read this during my sermon, all right? Trust my writing skills, all right? On, on the back side is another Bible study form that we've given you guys years ago. And I've, I've studied the Bible both of these ways. This is called the five Ps to effective Bible study. And I believe that this side, the back side, though it doesn't have the logo, it also effectively communicates the five Ps to effective Bible study. So I'm giving that to you to take home and to read on your own time, okay? And if you have any questions at all, I'm available to answer them. Our team is available to answer them. Um, your 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 neighbor is available to answer them, right? We're, we can work through this together. But I'm going to ask you to go ahead and just set this aside, all right? This is not my sermon. This is just icing on the cake, all right? For those that are watching online, if you would like... Um, a copy of this. Um, th- we will have them also next week in person at church, uh, but I would be happy to email you a copy as well. My goal, again, is is to get everyone up to speed. If you did not get this when you walked in, will you please raise your hand? Our ushers have some. Do our ushers have some extras? Yes. If you did not get this, this tan sheet, please raise your hand. If you did not get the fill-in-the-blank front and back notes for today, please raise your hand. You will want this. Trust me, you will want this. And finally, if you need a pen, you got these papers when you showed up, but you don't have a pen, raise your hand. Our team has pens to distribute to you today. All right. While we're doing that, let me talk to everyone that's watching online. If you are watching through YouTube, do me a favor, go ahead and subscribe to our channel. Go ahead and like this video. When you do that, the algorithm allows us to be seen by more people. That is your active service this morning. Subscribe to the channel and like this video uh, so that your friends, your connections, and other people can see our video. If you're watching on Facebook today, go ahead and give me a shout out in the comments. Say, "I'm, I'm watching. Let me know that you're watching. Go ahead and like this video and share this video. All right, everyone in the room, you have your notes. You have your pen? If you're ready, say ready. ready. All right. I'm going to read to you a portion of a parable that Jesus spoke about. And I want you to listen carefully because I'm going to ask you a question later on in my sermon. Okay? Kind of like a fun little quiz, but no one's going to fail. There will be no public shaming today. All right? I'm going to read the text to you. I want you to listen to it, mate. Close your eyes or or read along on the screen. Um, You'll recognize this story if you've been around the church for long. If you're new to the church, this is a parable, a story that Jesus told about a man who had two sons, all right? Luke 15, verse 11 through 18. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out, Right, That is our text. Let's go ahead and lock that away. Put that in your back pocket. I'm going to move on to other things. We'll revisit that in just a moment. Uh, The enemy is desperately trying to get you to not read the Word of God. He is trying desperately to prevent believers from reading Scripture. Satan can't stop the Word from producing fruit in your life once it's consumed. So he puts all of his effort in distracting you so that you won't read the word to begin with. Are you with me? He, he, he already knows that if the word takes root in your life, you will begin to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, You will become a new creation, not by the power of your own works, but by the spirit of the living God in the words of these pages. God tells us that his word won't return void. So once it gets rooted in your heart, there will be fruit. Once it roots, there will be fruit. Guaranteed. The enemy can't stop it. He's like a, a bird, you know, the parable of the seeds that are scattered among the thistles, among the rocks, among the fertile ground. He's he's like a bird that tries to come and get the seed. He wants to destroy and demolish the word before it ever gets planted into your heart and into your life. Because once it's rooted, once it's planted, he has no control over it. Satan will use distraction, social media, boredom, busyness, Anything to harden your heart towards reading and studying Scripture, Um, he he puts all of his effort into this because he knows that he's lost once you put your face in the Bible. Once you sit down with the Word and you ask Holy Spirit to start to reveal things to you to to you to reveal Himself to you, Satan knows he's already lost. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Pastor, I'm just not one of those people who likes to read the Bible. There, there are people out there that like to pray. They like to read the Bible. They, they like to lift their hands in worship. They, they like to serve. They like to. I'm just not one of those people. I just genuinely don't. I don't like to read the Word of God. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't have a desire to read the Word of God. The less of the word of God that you read, the less of a desire you have for the word of God. The less we pray, the less we desire to pray. The less you attend church, the less you desire to attend church. This, this is just spiritual truth. I found it interesting this week. I'm asking our team to do some analysis. I found it interesting that the average viewer online watching our service on a Sunday, the average length of time that they stay with us is 20 minutes. 20 minutes. If you've been here longer than 20 minutes and you're still watching, can you just type in the chat box? I'm still with you, Pastor. Just, just give me some affirmation, some love. Let me know that you're one of those 21 plus plusers in the room just right i'm still here i'm still but 20 minutes the less you attend service the less you want to attend service we knew this pre-covid i remember hearing my parents talk about that when i was elementary school if they happened to for whatever reason miss a couple weeks which really was unheard of i would hear them talking to other people in the church saying you know once you miss a sunday it's easy to miss a second I mean, my parents went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night. Saturday night was music only. We went Wednesday night, and they drove out. We moved multiple times, but I would venture to say it was a 45-minute to an hour drive to get to church. Multiple times a week. My parents didn't, and my parents are in the room, so I honor them for their contribution just to the kingdom of being faithful to the house of God. But listen, the less we read the Bible, the less we have a desire to read the Bible. Maybe somebody's saying, "I don't I don't want to read the Bible." Well, if you don't read the Bible, you'll never want to read the Bible. Hear me, you don't get a desire to read God's word at the altar by praying for a desire. This is key. A lot of us are praying, asking God to release a desire for something. And that's not how we get the desire. You don't get a desire to read God's word by praying for desire. You have a desire to read God's word because you read God's word. Some of you think, well, if I wanted to pray like they like to pray, I would pray more. They don't pray because they like to pray. They like to pray because they pray. I don't read the Bible because I like to read the Bible. I like to read the Bible because I read the Bible. I I don't like to give. Wait a minute. I don't give because I like to give. I like to give because I give. I tell my affections where to go. Come on, somebody that... You you know this in the secular sense. Somebody out there who drives past Taco Bell so you can get something healthy to eat. You don't eat healthy because you like to eat healthy. You like to eat healthy because you eat healthy. You don't work out because you like to work out. You like to work out because you work out. Are you following my logic here? I I I need some feedback here. The desire comes with the doing. The desire doesn't come after. Like You you don't just pray for this desire to spend time in God's Word and boop, suddenly you're spending an hour in the Word every day. That's not how it works. You read the Word when you don't feel like reading the Word. And soon you realize you can't live without the Word. And you love reading the Word. The devil has lied to you to take your cues from your mood, your emotion, your time management skills, your flesh. But I'm challenging us regarding Scripture that it's time for the body of Christ to start reading the Word and then watching that desire begin to flourish in our life. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible contains the breath of God. This is not man's description of God. This is God's revelation to us. This is the breath of God to us. Now, I'm going to help you interpret. I made that promise to you, so let's get started on some of the fundamentals. The first question I get asked a lot is, what's the best translation? What's the best translation? All right, here's my answer to you. The best translation that you can read is the translation that you will read. (laughs) If you will read New King James Version, that is the best translation. If you will read the message with one bazillion words to say three words, God bless you that is that is the best translation all right um, there is there's a there's a lot of clamor and noise out there about what's the best translation at the end of the day. Whatever you will read, get it in you all right I will tell you um just Scientifically speaking, uh, King James Version 1611, you'll hear a lot of people say don't read anything other than the King James Version. I call them the KJV warriors. Uh, But the reality is that is the most unreliable version that we have. King James Version among scholars is not even acceptable for professional study. Now I know that's a relief to many of you (laughs) because you don't Understand the these and the thous and where art thou and Romeo, Romeo stuff, you know. Uh, But the King James, and I'll tell you why, Uh, the King James Version was translated. And thank God for the King James Version that was translated when we did not have any manuscripts to understand Scripture ourselves. right? This was the first time that the Word of God became in a a format that we could read. So it, it was wonderful the Lord used it. However, since 1611, we have discovered literally thousands of transcripts and manuscripts, manuscripts, the Dead Sea Scrolls even, that now we can piece them together and know uh, that there there are better ways to phrase things than the KJV did, okay? So some of you I've seen on Facebook, there's just so much misinformation out there saying, the NIV has left out this verse. How many of you have seen that, like, Don't read the NIV because it's left out this verse and this verse. Go look at the KJV and you'll see that it's there. And now it's not there. And that's Satan changing the times and the seasons. And the, what's that effect where you think it was there and it wasn't there? Mandela effect. Like there's just so much garbage out there. King James Version added more things than really should have been in the text. And we now know that because our interpretation skills have been honed. We now have manuscripts that we can compare. Thousands of manuscripts that we can compare. So the New King James Version is better than KJV. The NIV is better than KJV. The ESV is better than KJV. Are you following me? Now something that you should know is Bibles are built, uh, That there are different translations and paraphrases. Um, some of them are built around word-for-word translation. That's better for studying the Word of God, all right? Your new, what I use, what I love, that's my top three. NIV, New King James Version. I love, I love that version a lot. And then the ESV. These are word-for-word translations. Then you have, I'm assuming your favorite, the message, which is a paraphrase, right? So it's not word-for-word, it's idea-for-idea. Now, what's great about these paraphrases, the message, uh, the passion translation is beautiful. That's a great one. Um, They're really not that great if you want to do in-depth study of Scripture. But they are great for getting the main idea and what God is trying to communicate. Like, I would love a paraphrase on a rainy day next to a fireplace, right? But if I'm sitting down uh, midday at my desk with my Bible and I'm studying, I don't want to paraphrase. I I need something that's translated word for word. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Um, So how do we, some of you are like, Pastor, you've not filled in a single blank yet. I've been waiting this whole time. How do we as individual believers come to the text the Bible, and interpret it. I mean, how do we as humans approach a divine work? And, and at some point, at some place, there has to be this intersection of humanity and divinity for there to be a transference of knowledge. For me, does that make sense? For me to understand what the divine creator has written in my humanity, there has to be some kind of connecting point. All right. So my question that I'm asking is: are there any guidelines in that interpretation, in finding that connection that will lead us away from error and closer to truth? And I've I've got about 17 of them. All right. That's gonna help us interpret scripture. And and I'm gonna ask you to come back because all 17 of these work together. All right. I'm I'm not trying to put you through seminary school today. I'm just trying to help equip you with tools so that you can better divide the Word of God. The first thing that you always need to do when you sit down to study, always invite Holy Spirit into your study time. Why not invite the author to the table when you're reading his book? The Holy Spirit will guide you into truth. He will bring revelation to you. He will... Help you apply scripture in ways that you hadn't thought of. Don't don't ever rush into your Bible study time. Even if... uh, I I don't want to knock like quick morning devotions, all right? Anything that you consume, anything that you eat is good, right? But I do want to tell you that just doing a two-minute Our Daily Bread devotion in the morning is not sufficient in the life of a believer. Is that all right if I just speak truth to you? It's good. Like, it's, it's great. It's like maybe some coffee in the morning, but at some point you need some prime rib or Subway, Maud <laughs> pizza. You need, you need something other than just that espresso in the morning. All right? I, you with me? So even if in your morning commute, you've only got time for, you know, play our daily bread or a devotion or whatever, you know, Stephen Furtick's clip of the day, um, Christine Kane's clip of the day. There's great stuff all over YouTube. Even before you do that, I want to challenge you to invite Holy Spirit into that moment. Because he can take anything that you read, anything that you see, anything that you hear, and he can speak. To write where you are, so step number one is invite Holy Spirit into your study time. all right, the next one is eisegesis versus exegesis these are These are seminary terms, but i listen i don 't want you to be afraid of them all right we 're growing up in the faith, usually on Sunday mornings in most churches across america what 's delivered from the pulpit this church included is milk, all right, and then Christians are expected, believers are expected to eat steak at home. Find their own steak, right? That's how it typically works. A Sunday morning is meant as a wide gate so that new believers can come to faith and we break it down and we're feeding you milk. If, if all you're doing in Scripture is hearing stuff here on a Sunday, it's time for you to become lactose intolerant. Okay, because you're just getting milk. I think I'm a great preacher. I think I go deep. But the reality is, it's milk. It is milk. If my sermons are blowing you away, you're not spending enough time in God's word. Did I just put my own preaching down. But it's the truth. And I love you enough to tell you this. Because it's time that we mature. All right? Now, if you're a new believer and you're like this doesn't even feel like milk. Half of what you say, I don't understand. It. It's over my head. It's okay. We're all in process. These two terms, eisegesis and exegesis, I'm giving you a piece of steak right now at a time where I normally just give you milk. All right? Eisegesis is whenever we approach scripture and we impose meaning onto the scripture. Like, I want to write a sermon about being a good husband. So I go and I find scripture that says be a good husband. I went to the scripture and I what, imposed what I wanted it to say so that I could bring to you a message that I wanted to say. That's I Jesus. Sometimes I Jesus might be right, but more often than not it's wrong. Because we have imposed our own ideas, our own agendas, our own traditions on scripture exegesis is when we come to the table, we sit down, we're reading, and we let the text speak to us. We don't go to the text expecting to find and back up what we think it should say. We read it, and then we allow ourselves to come here empty-handed. Say, God, I want to walk away with whatever it is that you want to give to me. The the truth that you want to give to me today, I want you to to speak to me through your word. The meaning of scripture is determined by the author, not the reader. So when I sit to study scripture, I always, I approach it and, and just assume that everything that I know at this point, there is room for improvement. Maybe there's some faulty tradition I've got. Maybe there's some faulty beliefs that I have. Anytime I approach Scripture, I I come through the lens of student, not a scholar. And that's my encouragement to you today. Come with the lens of exegesis. Come to learn from Scripture rather than apply, imply your meaning on Scripture. All right? Eyes of Jesus. Eyes, using your own eyes to see exegesis explain the text will explain rather than you reading the text let the text read you so good all right so the next point of helping you interpret scripture is this is a really profound really deep likely my last point it is read it read it Read it and read it again and read it again and read it again. Now, Listen, if you move too quickly from your initial reading of the text and you try to apply the text to your own life, what's going to happen is you're going to continuously be tied to your previous understanding of the text. So read it. This This is where if I just... If I go to the story that I read to you in Luke 15 earlier, and I just bring to the text everything that I already know about the text, then I get tired of reading Luke 15. Instead, I read it, read it again, and read it again, and I don't grow bored and tired of the text because I'm not moving too quickly from the initial reading. Read in paragraphs, not sentences you would never just pick a word in Scripture and develop a doctrine on the word. You would never just pick a verse out of the Bible, though last week we did prove some verses that we've taken out of context for years, right? But if you're going to read a verse, read the paragraph. To understand the paragraph, read the chapter. To understand the chapter, read the book. Are you with me? We zoom in, we zoom out in Scripture. And you read it, And you read it again, read it a third time, go ahead, read it a fourth time, and sit for it a while. Sit with it for a while. Don't go in for the kiss too quickly. Dance with the scripture. Ask yourself, instead of asking yourself, what does this mean? Ask yourself, what's going on? What's happening? Look for contrast. Look for comparisons, look for repetition, look for lists, look for cause and effect, look for figures of speech, underline all the verbs, and then ask yourself, is it an active verb, is it a passive verb? Look look for people's names, circle people's names, and ask yourself, have I heard of them before, where have I heard of these people before? Look for sequences of events, look for familiar phrases, Okay, when you read the text, that's all you need to do. Just read it. Just sit with it. Figure out what's going on. So many times we try to apply scripture and slap a to-do list on our life, and we really don't even know what happened. We really don't even, can't even paint the mental picture of the sequence of events that we just read. So just read it and sit with it for a while. Next, I'm gonna try to move quicker because I'm really I would like to get a few more points in. Is that all right? Next, you need to get to know the author, the audience, and the purpose. If you want to interpret the Bible correctly, get to know the author. By the author, I'm not speaking of Holy Spirit, though you should get to know him. I'm talking about the writer that actually picked up the pen to write the book that you're reading. Uh, Most study Bibles have an introduction section of each book, like I just opened to Proverbs, right? Uh, For those that brought your Bible today, you could open to the start of the book and see, does it talk about the author? Does it say the date it was written? Does it give you any background information? This is invaluable when trying to interpret Scripture. So if you're trying to interpret, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a verse in that. You would read the section that it's in, most likely the entire chapter, chapter 12. Then you're going to read chapter 11 before and chapter 13 after. But then you're going to go to the front of that book and find out all the historical information that you can. You know, it's, it's really fascinating that God uses people to write in scripture based on their own experience, based on their own likes. It's once you get to know the authors, it gets kind of fun to read Scripture. For example, Peter. In First and Second Peter, in his two letters, he is, in the New Testament, he is the only writer, well, not the only writer, he is the writer that speaks the most about the flood. Noah's flood, right? Um, which, which makes sense when you realize that Peter was a fisherman and he liked water. That's kind of cool, you know. Um, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, we hear how, how Judas uh, fell down a ravine, a sharp rock cut him, and his intestines spilled out. It's a pretty gory description, right? And you wonder, why is it so descriptive? Until you remember that Luke wrote that book, and Luke was a physician. And he liked talking about the gory details. It didn't gross him out. He was like, oh, and then the intestines came out right? Or, or Matthew. Matthew, in the four Gospels, Matthew is the only writer who tells a story about Jesus and Peter were fishing, and Peter needed to pay his taxes, and there was a fish that came up, and Jesus told him, look in the fish's mouth, and you're going to find a coin. They opened the fish's mouth, they found coins, and Jesus told him to go and pay his taxes with the coin. The only place you're going to find that is in Matthew. And, and of course, it makes sense that there would be more monetary issues in Matthew because Matthew was a tax collector. He liked money. Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, a fascinating, fascinating book. I can't wait till I could do a series on Ezekiel. But he talks about the old temple, um, the, the current temple, and the future temple, the one that's yet to be built, the, third te- the, the future temple. So he talks about the past, present, future of temples. And it it makes complete sense because Ezekiel is a, a prophet and a priest. You see, God loves to use the natural wiring of the author to get his word across. In theology, that's called dual authorship. God authored the book, but he used the individual lives, the intricate details of the writer to get his point across. And he knew exactly who to give what story to so that it would come across right to you and I. So get to know the author, the audience, and the purpose. The audience, who is the writer writing to, and the purpose, what is the purpose of the book? You can find that in your study Bible. Okay, I'm going to give you one more. I got to just give you one more, and I'm going to make it quick. Don't play the keys yet. But I really am wrapping up, okay? Um, And then we'll pick up next time. The next point is when you sit down to interpret Scripture, you have to be aware of your social location. Be aware of your social location. Now, what is your social location? Social location refers to those various factors that identify one person as distinct from another, okay? So age, gender, gender race economic status employment status education marital status and the list goes on and on and on and your your social location changes based on your life circumstances if you go from employed to unemployed your social location shifts does that make sense and there's not one better than another but it is different and what what scholars used to find um, interesting is the social location of the author what I just talked to but get to know the author because it matters but what we're finding is not just the social location of the author matters but the social location of the reader matters it doesn't change the meaning of the text but it communicates something different can I give you an example good you heard me read the story of the prodigal son we're going to take a quiz on your paper you see a blank that says why, why, all right? Dr. Mark Powell asked a question to students in three different nations. And the question that he asked, I'm going to ask you about the text that we read earlier, okay? So don't cheat, don't look at your neighbor, don't ask your neighbor, don't phone a friend. Here's the question I want you to answer. Why does the sun end up starving in a pig pen? Write down your answer. Why? Why does the sun end up starving in a pig pen? Why? Play along if you're watching online. Go ahead and write it down. Don't just say it in your mind because then you're going to change your answer. Just write it down. Why does the sun end up starving in a pig pen? When you're done, just kind of wave at me. Not at me, okay, okay. So, Dr. Everyone done? You got some kind of answer, okay. Uh, Dr. Powell, when he asked his students in America this question, 80% of them answered with the fact that this young man had squandered his inheritance on wild living. How many of you answered he squandered his inheritance on wild living? Raise your hand, hi, hi. Okay. Okay, hands down. How many didn't answer? Let me see who I'm not counting. You did not answer anything. Okay. You did not answer anything, because I want to remove you from my analysis. Okay. Okay, good, good. Hands down. Now again, how many of you said he squandered his inheritance on wild living? Many of you. Okay. Uh, Dr. Powell found that 80% of Americans in his classes answered that he squandered Inheritance on wild living. Well, then he was teaching in St. Petersburg, Russia. And he decided he would ask that group of students the exact same question. So he asked them, Why did the son end up starving in a pig pen? And he expected them to say the same thing that probably 80% of the room said. He squandered his inheritance on wild living. But that's not the answer that he gave. 80% of them said, The son ended up starving in a pig pen because there was a famine. A famine, and he was kind of shocked by the answer. He went back to the text, and sure enough, the text said he squandered his living, and there was a famine. As he dug into it, he noticed that in St. Petersburg, Russia, during World War II, the German army took control of that city, and no food was allowed into that city for three years. During that time, 600,000 people died. One out of four people in St. Petersburg, Russia, died. So anytime someone there reads about a famine, it is a key detail in their mind. For Americans, it's about stewardship, wise living, not being reckless. But for Russians, it was about famine. So then some time passed, and he was teaching in Tanzania, East Africa. He decided to ask the exact same question. Why did the young son uh, end up starving in a pig pen? He expected that they would say one of the two answers, either because of the famine or because he squandered his inheritance in wild living. And it turned out, and some of them did say that, but it turned out that, again, 80% of them gave a third and different answer. In East Africa... Uh, 80% of them said, because no one gave him anything to eat. Now, if we go back to our text, can we just read our text? Can, Can we throw our text back up on the screen real quick? Luke 15. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to His father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set out for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After that, he had spent everything. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything to eat. In Tanzania, they were just shocked at the lack of hospitality of these people when this guy was taking care of his pigs. People noticed different details in Scripture based on their social location. So you can't be ignorant when you sit down to read Scripture on what your social location is. The thing that's going to naturally stand out to you is probably the indicator that you should dig in other places, other pieces, all right? And I'm going to stop here because this is a good place to stop. And uh, man, my next point is so amazing. Please stand. Is always, next week. Is this helpful? Yes. I have some very, very good tangible things next week to share with you. Oh, my goodness. Father, I thank you for your word that is alive. it if there's anyone watching, anyone in the room, they, they hear us as... Believers, being focused on growth, wanting to know you. God, I just sense that your presence has been here, your spirit has, has been here, just so proud of your sons and your daughters digging in, digging into truth. But God, maybe there are people among us that haven't yet said yes to you. They haven't yet received Jesus as their Savior. Jesus, we know, has died on a cross for our sin, He rose again on the third day and he is inviting us into relationship with him if there's anyone in the room that's ready to say yes to jesus anyone watching online you're ready to say yes to jesus it's really a a simple prayer that we say there's no trick to it there's there's no formula we just admit that we are a sinner father we know that we've sinned we know that we're far from you We believe that Jesus died on a cross for our sin. We believe that you rose him on the third day. We believe that he's coming back for us, God. We believe that we can approach you as a son, as a daughter. We believe that our life will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you just said that prayer, you are now a son and a daughter of the Most High. And We would love to walk this journey with you. So text NEXT, N-E-X-T. To five one two nine eight zero twelve twenty. For everybody else, man, this is, this is an incredible month of growth. For those doing the 30-day shred, I just want to encourage you, keep going. Keep going. For everyone else who's not doing that, I want to encourage you to use one of these Bible study methods that I'm sending you home with. They're super fun, very engaging. All right? Uh, we love you guys. Thank you for coming to church today. Thank you for joining us online. Take what you received in here and go be the church out there. We'll see you Wednesday, 6.30 p.m. or next Sunday, 10.30. God bless you.